Welcome to another episode of the Bounce Pass by the Sports Mecca. I'm your host, Stephen Abrama. Today, I have the great privilege to talk to Kansas Jayhawks basketball with my colleague Sam Hageli and KC Star and KU Beat writer Jesse Duell. Jesse, thank you so much for uh, you know being able to come on and and talk about Kansas basketball uh, with us tonight. Um, you know, I know it, it, it's. With with you being the beat writer for the at the Kansas City Star, uh, you know, it's 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 a tough job. You're, you're constantly, you know, doing different stories every week. So, uh, you know, we do appreciate you coming on. Um, so, you know, my name's Stephen Abramo. Just, uh, I mean, Jesse, I, I was able to meet you a couple of months ago. Um, Sam, Sam and Kelly, uh, he's going to be here uh, as well. He's going to be joining me. We'll kind of get this started, so we'll go through a variety of topics tonight. Uh, we'll kind of start through kind of where Kansas has been at this season, uh, and then we'll kind of move through the state of the Big 12, kind of state of where the rest of college basketball is right now, and then uh, we'll kind of end it with maybe you know what the ceiling is for this Kansas team or uh, and things that we should be aware of uh, when, you know, once the NCAA tournament starts. So, um, you know, Jesse, obviously you, you've been to, you've been to probably every game. You were at the Iowa state game uh, last night, and then you were at the Oklahoma game. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you pick up a lot of things. I'm sure you probably pick up more things than Sam and I, uh, cause you're actually in the locker room actually watching. But um, I think it's pretty safe to say that, you know, this is, at least right now, it's on pace to be one of Bill Self's better seasons uh, in in his Kansas tenure. You know they're twenty three and three, twelve and one in conference play, uh, currently on an eleven game win streak. And then in terms of like rankings, you know third in the country, uh, but they're first in Ken Palm. Um, Devon Dawson's having a great season. Uh, I think he's leading the. You can correct me, but I think he's leading the Big Twelve in scoring. And then Azubuke is having a really good season as well. Uh, again, this this is an open forum, so Sam will give can, will give his thoughts. But uh, we'll just start with you, Jesse. From just from what you've seen this entire season, kind of just give us kind of a, a synopsis of of what's gone on this entire year. Yeah, I think you mentioned it, just Kansas um, is a team. It's sort of interesting. It reminds me a little bit of 08 for Kansas in the fact that. They seem to be kind of on a roll here, but not many people are kind of discussing them the way that I would figure they would kind of a national championship contender. I mean, I know a lot of people know that Kansas can win the national title, obviously, but if you look across the numbers, you know, as you mentioned, number one in Ken Palm, number one in Bart Torvik, um, there's a ranking called wins above bubble. They're actually number one in that, which is a really good resume measure. So, I mean, you basically look up and down the numbers and Kansas kind of clicks off every box, but they're still number three in the AP people. So I think people out there still think, Hey, you know, Baylor got that head to head win against them. So um, Baylor could be better. And then obviously Gonzaga's had a good year in the WCC. So, but you know, if you just give it the 1000 foot view of Kansas and why they've been good this year, you, you start with that. They have real three really good players. You know, they have Devon Dotson who um, probably is going to be in the running for first team all American can score in the half court, real super quick off the dribble. You got, you know, Gazabuki who's lost weight and is a great rim protector and uh, is shooting about 74, 75% when he gets the ball, um, you know, inside just from two point field goal range. And then Marcus Garrett, who has emerged as a defender who steals it, you know, can be switchable. It just kind of leads KU's defense and helps them 
start things in transition also kind of seems to be the momentum guy for Kansas a team leader and, and gets things going. So you start with those three guys and everybody else is kind of falling into place when it comes to the, uh, comes to their own specific roles. And I think this Kansas team is really good. And I know there's been a lot of talk about this year. It's college basketball down as a whole. And I, I would sort of agree with that to a certain extent, but because of that, I think this Kansas team sort of does emerge as what we would consider maybe the national championship favorite, just because, the run that they've been on and how they've been able to dominate opponents and handle a schedule that's as tough as any in the country. I think that indicates to us that this is a really good team. Uh, nothing's guaranteed in March, but obviously uh, if you're going to look out across to you know the rest of the teams out there, I think Kansas has as good a chance as any to go out there and win a national title. Right. Um, and, and some of the thoughts that you were meant that you mentioned about like Marcus Garrett. Um, and we haven't even kind of touched on, and we will about, the 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 rotational pieces like Abaji and and McCormick, but uh, Sam, kind of, would you agree with some of the stuff that Jesse has said, or would you like to add some stuff? Um, yeah, I agree with everything uh, Jesse said, and you know, I think this this team has really been fun to watch recently. You know, I think this their defense, the way they can like get steals, like Marcus Garrett and Dotson, you know, and then and then the way you know. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, their offense isn't on, but their defense absolutely just steps up when you need them to, and they can win games based on their defense. But what's interesting about this team is, you know, like, they have three losses, and two of those losses were games that KU should have won, like, the first game in the Champions class against Duke, they had 28 turnovers, then they, at Nova, they kind of had some mental mistakes at the end, and they let that game slip away, you know. The loss to Baylor, of course, you know, Baylor just played an incredible game and KU just was not on that day. You know, they struggled. Um, but this KU team could easily be 25-1 uh, and one right now, you know, based on that. But, you know, I think Marcus Garrett's absolutely playing at an incredible level defensively. Devon Dotson, you know, I think for sure, I think he will win the Big 12 player. He can lock it up potentially on Saturday. And, you know, you got Yudoka Asabuki, who, you know, is so powerful inside and uh, can also come through at, at the end with uh, some really critical blocks defensively. His rim protecting has been excellent, you know. Um, so that's some really uh, good points for KU. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, like the last two games, Kansas, the shooting has absolutely been clicking, you know. Maybe hopefully this is a sign that there's – they're starting to peak offensively. You know, you, you know, these uh, three point performances is something that we'll see uh, more often down down the road as we, uh, which will be a definitely a big key for them to win win it all. Right, um, and you know, Sam, you mentioned that just about like the two losses that they had. Um, you know, that loss against Duke, they didn't have Isaiah Moss, um, and then I believe Garrett was nicked up in that game against Nova and then Dotson also also was nicked up against Baylor. But um, you also mentioned a good point about like the offense and Jesse, this is something that you probably, uh, you know, since you've wrote every game and you've, you've studied kind of uh, how they've progressed. Um, What's your thoughts on their offense as a whole? Because at the start of the season, Candace was, turn it over at like a really alarming rate like they had I mean they weren't averaging 28 turnovers like they did against Duke but they they were they were coughing the ball 
15, 16 times, and it really kind of slowed down their offense. Uh, can you kind of speak on you know what you've seen and why Candace has been a kind of a much better offensive team the last couple of weeks than they were, let's say, in non-conference play? Yeah, I think they're starting to settle into an identity. Early in the season, Bill Self wanted to play his two bigs together just because they had so much front court depth, and they figured that they had to find minutes for McCormick and Azubuki and Sylvie DeSosa on the court. But, um, you know, ever since the basically the fight that happened between KU and KSA on January 21st, uh, Sylvie DeSosa was out with suspension, and then obviously Dave McCormick was out for a couple games, so it forced Bill Self to play that four-guard lineup. And it was really successful. Okay, you played very well in its next two games. And so Bill Self kind of said all along there, hey, I, I know the numbers, the analytics, everything says that the four-guard look has been better. Um, he kind of just kept, kept trying to play the two-big look to make sure that it was sharp and just continue to, to see and experiment and, and try it out and see if it, there was kind of a role for it. But as the season's gone on, it's become really, really clear that the offense and the defense both are better when KU has four guards on the court. Yeah. So I think... Bill Self, once he transitioned fully to that, uh, KU's offense has started to take off. You mentioned the turnovers going down. You get another ball handler on the court. That definitely helps. Um, you shoot a few more threes. You can, sometimes the best way to not turn it over is to, to shoot it before you turn it over, if that makes any sense. And uh, mm-hmm. KU's been able to do that. And then I just think guys are kind of finding better comfort levels with each other when it comes to the four-guard look. You know, Christian Brown has been shooting more. Isaiah Moss has been shooting more. Um, they have – these nice plays in the playbook that get um, they get Devon Dotson on right-handed drives and Marcus Garrett starting to kind of figure out how he can distribute all those sorts of things. So I, I think that this team is sort of built for a four-guard lineup. And now that Bill Self is playing that exclusively, it seems like everybody's kind of finding their roles and finding a comfort level. And that's why you've seen the offense sort of take off here over the course of the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I think also uh, this the four-guard lineup really plays, in my opinion, uh, to – Yudoka has a bouquet strength, uh, you know, and he's been battling injuries throughout his Kansas career. You know, he played half a season in, in his freshman season, and then he played half a season really in his in his uh, junior season. But really, the whole the the best season he's put together, or full season he's he put together, was in 2018 when he had um, you know Graham, Mikhail, Luke, Vic. Now I don't think Candace really has maybe outside of Isaiah Moss. Uh, a guy that can make as many threes at a high volume on this team as those guys, but um, I think with one less big, like he has to worry about, like with that as a bouquet has McCormick inside or DeSosa inside, uh, I think it kind of limits him. Um, I think he's made a lot of strides on the defensive end, um, and you you obviously have seen. Azbuke's growth. What can you kind of speak on, like Azbuke, from a condition standpoint? Because it looks like he's like in the best shape of his life right now. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, it depends on the the person you talk to. Obviously, I think Fran Schill, Every time he's on the broadcast, says he lost that Udo lost fifty pounds, which might be a little bit too much. You know, maybe it's more in the thirty to forty, whatever it is. He's much slimmer than a year ago, and. Uh, you can just see from his numbers that uh, everything is kind of across the board better. He's in better shape. He's able to run the court better. But more than anything, I talked to him you know, this last week. He talked about how he just is more aggressive defensively. Like he's he's not waiting for the action to come to him. He's going out to get um, defenders. He's going out to block shots. He's going out to grab rebounds. And, I mean, basically across the board with the exception of turnovers, every number for him is better. You know, the block rate is better. 
his offensive rebounding is better. His defensive rebounding is better. His you know two point shooting is not as good as it was two years ago, but it's better than it was in the small sample size last year. So um, all those things coming coming together in this season for him has just made Kansas offense and defense so much more dangerous. And defensively, I mean, Kate, basically their whole style is to kind of funnel things to Doak. And if if other teams try to challenge him at the rim. It's tough. It's you know, it's tough to score over him. It's tough to go around him. It's tough to get him to foul because he doesn't do that very often. So, yeah, I mean, he's made so many strides in the offseason. I just think that uh, for Kansas, when he lost that weight, he became so much more, um, you know, not only able to play more minutes, but he became such a more versatile defender who's able to switch on guards when he needs to and challenge shots at the rim more frequently and better. And all of a sudden, this has turned this Kansas defense from, okay, you know, this might be a pretty good defense to, oh my gosh, this is maybe the very top defense in all of America and one that should be feared for any team that goes against it coming up here in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you just mentioned about they really have morphed themselves into an elite defense. And uh, I'll kind of go with Sam here. Um, and Jesse, you can also it later. You, you can also kind of uh, have your say. Sam, do you think this is – the best defensive team that self has put together, or do you think t- the the 2008 unit was like r- was really good, um, and then they had 20, I believe 13 was a top defense. Uh, I know, like in terms of Ken Palm, there are like no, they're number one in adjusted defense, I think this year, um, and then I think 2008 KU was number one as well. Um, so, do you think this is like better than 08? Or no? Uh, this is a tough one, you know. Um, I, I'm, gonna, I'm actually, I'm going to probably say no just right now. You know, maybe I'm a little bit biased right now just because, you know, oh, wait, won a national title and we have yet to see this team. But maybe if this team wins at all, maybe you could definitely say that this oh, 2020 Kansas defense is better than 2008. Yeah, you know. I felt like, you know, like, I think that one of the things about that 08 defense was, like, the way that they could guard the three, I felt like they just did it so effectively, you know, like, you had Mario Chalmers, Russell Robinson, Brandon Rush, you know, guys who could absolutely, like, just guard you fiercely and, like, make it absolutely difficult for you to take uh, tough shots. But it's kind of crazy. See, uh, I haven't seen a stat on it, you know. But, like, I think there's, like, about, like, four games this year that KU has held teams to under 70, I think. Um, might be wrong on that. But, like, KU, they definitely, you know, they hold, they do a good job holding teams, like, under, like, you know, 70. You know, they've had quite a few games, I think, a nice stretch where they were holding teams to under 60, which will, help, which will keep you in ball games, like, all the time, like, so I think that's a really good trait, you know. I thought that the 2011-2012 KU team, that defense was, like, amazing when you had, like, Jeff Whitney down there blocking shots, you know, and they were they ended up winning a NTA team. Yeah, uh, Tyshawn Taylor, one of, probably one of the best, like, defenders at the point guard position Bill Self has ever uh, coached. And uh, they ended up winning a game that they only hit, like, two, like, shots – farther than 15 feet, you know. That's how good that defense is. And, you know, this KU team could definitely win win in March 
once, like just like that that 2011-2012 team. And, you know, when you got like the be- one of the best, you know, on ball defenders and Marcus Garrett, and he also got another one in Devon Dotson, and then a incredible rim protecting Yudoka Azubuki. You definitely, you definitely can make a case for them being the best defensive team Bill Self's ever coached. Uh, Jesse, would you? I mean. Do you, would you, do you think they're better than 08? Or, I mean, would you, do you think there's other teams that uh, – other defenses maybe outside of 08 that can attest to being better than this, than this year's team? Yeah, it's difficult because obviously 08 is talked about so fondly just because um, that team did win the national title. But honestly, I mean, I, I think the numbers would bear this out. I think it's one of those two. And, you know, you guys have mentioned this, but – it's a different game, obviously, than OA because teams shot better from three, but teams didn't shoot as many threes. So yeah. I think in some ways it's a lot more challenging to guard today. And also, you want to talk about how the game has changed, you know, ball screens are, are so much more a part of the game. That's so much of what you do defensively is trying to make sure that on ball screens you have good coverage and don't allow the, the roller to get to the rim and don't allow the ball handler to penetrate or to find guys on the perimeter so um it's really a testament to bill self to be able to kind of have dominant defenses in such different molds from you know 2008 to now because the whole game has completely changed from what it was back then but um it's probably too early because you know there are some games left and um the, the good thing about Ken Palm's numbers, if you go to them, you can even look at like a certain date in the schedule uh, at what defenses are. And so um, I think if you compare this defense to where 2008 was at this moment, that it's a lot closer than, you know, where 2008 ended up. Um, but for this Kansas team, you know, to be mentioned in that same breath, I think is obviously a positive. And the fact of the matter is, you know, they're not playing fast possession games. So mm-hmm. that's going to limit some of these scores. But at the same time, you know, you play two row games, TCU and West Virginia here in this last month. And one scored, one team scores 46 against you and the other scores 49. Um, that's, that's really good defense. I mean, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to get too low a possession game that's going to even stop you from saying, hey, a team didn't score 50 against you in their home court and, and you know, caveat that away. I, I just think Kansas has been really, really impressive on the defensive end, just what they've been able to do and kind of force teams into the shots that KU wants them to take. And lots of those times, the, those shots have not been able to go in. So, yeah, I would say KU's in the discussion. Obviously, March will tell us a lot more about this team in the next couple months. They haven't had their best performances here over the last week against Oklahoma and Iowa State defensively. But right. as we talked about before, because the offense came back, um, boy, it, it gives KU a nice – um, potential there that to say, hey, they really haven't put their offense with their defense at any moment here in the last couple months. And if that ever happens at any point, then we might see a different Kansas team than we've seen here, uh, you know, in, in the previous three months of the season. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, Jesse, I got a quick question for you. Um, you know, uh, this year, you know, college basketball, you know, they extended the three point line a little bit farther. You know, how much of an impact do you feel like, you know, that has benefited, you know, KU defensively in a way with the with it being a little bit harder for other teams to shoot threes. And, you know, do you think this is like early in the season, you know, like do you think, you know, offenses were struggling because they hadn't like adjusted to that three-point line yet? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to track this because, you know, people had kind of theories about what might happen. But the reality of it is last year teams shot 34.4% from three, and this year they're shooting 33.3%. So kind of where it hurts a lot of teams, I think, is – sort of in the margins where you might allow maybe your big men to shoot a lot more if their toes are on the line, but you know, you scoot that back even a little bit more 
all of a sudden maybe the green lights are still green, but the yellow lights become a little bit more red. And for Kansas, they're kind of in a perfect spot to be able to take advantage of this because they are dominant on both ends from two-point range. You know, Kansas is 14th nationally in two-point percentage. And then the thing you can control most on defense, what studies have told us, is um, two-point defense and shots at the rim. And as I just talked about, you know, KU does a great job forcing teams in the mid-range and also following them to, you know, Gazabuki, who does a great job of blocking shots. So KU's seventh nationally when it comes to defending twos. And um, all of a sudden, maybe in other years, KU forcing teams to shoot a few more threes would kind of be a, a more of a negative because, as we saw, uh, KU 2018 in the Final Four against Villanova and 2019 against Auburn. I mean, that's really what sunk the Jayhawks is they couldn't guard the three-point line. It's just a little bit more difficult for teams to take advantage of against this Kansas team, not only because they have better guards and get out to shooters on the outside, but also because that line's a little bit further out. It's just a little bit of a tougher shot to make. So, yeah, in this transition period, it might just be a perfect year for Bill Self to sort of take advantage of what has kind of become uh, more – it's, it's better to play inside-out basketball, and uh, Kansas had a team definitely this year to, to play inside-out on both ends and really dominate the paint, and that's kind of allowed them to be the success that they've been so far this season, and we'll see how that works in March. Yeah, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned the uh, most recent NCAA tournament losses to Villanova in the Final Four and then to Auburn in the second round because – I think some of it against Nova, Nova was just on. I mean, they they shot from like, I mean, they had to have made, I believe, 15 or 16 threes. Like, no, no, nobody probably would have beaten them on that night. But, you know, Auburn got off a lot of open threes. And, you know, I, I've I've talked to Sam a lot, like, in the off season, And then I t- we had a, a preview, like, before the season started about, like what's a, what's a big area for for Candace to correct? What's an area that really self needs to tighten up for for him to get not only over the hump from you know making another tournament run or or even win another national title? Uh, both Sam and I both said tightening up the three point defense, making it harder for for teams to get off open threes and really limit three point attempts. And uh, I think. You mentioned. I mean, I think Candace has, has has done a good job, and then also it helps that, so it's like you said, that teams aren't shooting as as well because the three point line uh, was stretched back. Um, so, kind of, I want to kind of transition into more of like the state of the Big Twelve, um, and then kind of from there, really what this team's ceiling is, and then what really needs to be done if they want to make a, a deep tournament run. Uh, I think it's pretty clear, you know, with Candace being 12-1 and and Baylor being 12-0, um, and 0, I think it's pretty safe to say that there's really only two teams in the Big 12 that are elite this year. And I'd say maybe Texas Tech and West Virginia are are good, but they're really not at that. They're, there's a pretty sub- substantial gap between those two teams. And then you got Oklahoma, and then really the last five teams in that conference are just, uh, to put it nicely, not good. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma State has actually been a little bit more competitive this year. Uh, sorry, late in the season. I believe they did beat West Virginia. But, um, just, they beat you know, Texas Tech Saturday. Yeah, like, 
Oklahoma State has actually put together like some impressive wins, but like early in the conference schedule, I believe, I think they started off 0-8, 0-9. I was like, oh man, are they going to win a conference game? Are they going to go 0-18? But uh, they've actually struggled with together some important, some impressive performances. Um, Jesse, I'll ask you, did you think at the beginning of the season that the Big 12 was going to be like this top heavy? And did you think Baylor was going to be this good? Like, not just threatening Kansas for the Big 12, but actually being a one seed and a title contender? I, uh, well, I actually did. I, I had some preseason predictions, and I said that one of my preseason predictions for Kansas was that they would win the Big 12, but they would tie for it with Baylor. Now, the difference was I think I had both teams at 14-4 and four or 13-5, and five, something like that. So that tells you that I expected the middle of the Big 12 to be much better. I expected the bottom of the Big 12 to be much better, and that really hasn't panned out. But you, know, you have to give credit to Baylor. They've won close games. They've uh, been able to hang in there, and even, you know, they haven't, they didn't play well against Oklahoma State. Both those games are able to, to come away with victories, you know, even a previous game against Oklahoma. But, you know, the scoreboard's the scoreboard. They're 12-0 and uh, at this point at the time that we're talking, and they put a lot of pressure on Kansas, even though Kansas has had a, a really great conference season as well. I mean, King's not used to being 11-1 and and looking up at somebody else in the conference. Usually 11-1 and means that they're two or three games ahead and thinking about, you know, which potential game they're going to cut the nets down and get the, get the trophy. So, yeah, this is – Big 12 season has not played out as I maybe predicted or I would have thought. I, the Big 12 has been so good lately and just kind of having all 10 teams, um, the floors were very high. And the bottom's kind of dropped out for Texas and Texas Tech. I'm not Texas Tech. Like Texas and Kansas State and, um, you know, Oklahoma State to a little extent, Iowa State as well. So it, it it's not the same depth of the conference. But what's so crazy, I think, is that, from my experience, I think 90% of people out there judge conferences, the bottom line, on how many Final Four teams they have and who wins the national championship. And if you just look at it through that lens, which I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but if you do do that, then I think a lot of people at the end of this year are going to be like, Big 12 was great because I think West Virginia's got a chance for the Final Four. I think Baylor's got a great chance. And I think KU's probably the national title favorite at this moment. So um, there's it, it, it very well that there could be two Final Four teams in, from the Big 12, and there's very well that uh, – one of those teams could win the national championship. If that happens at the end of the season, we won't be talking about how poor the Big 12 is most likely. We'll be talking about how finally this conference came through in the games that mattered the most. But mm-hmm. now this thing hasn't played out as I expected. Uh, I think the Big 10 has really stepped up this year as the most top, the bottom, the best conference that's out there. That's sort of what the Big 12 has been in years past. But uh, for this particular year, like I said, I think it will still be viewed fondly for a lot of fans out there just because the Big 12 has – some very good schools at the top, and I think those top three have a great chance of making the final four. But then the the, uh, the ACC is actually having a down year this year. I think um, for years, if it, at least for the past couple years, you know we've seen six, seven teams, maybe even eight teams for the ACC make it. But it look, it looks like four, maybe five teams: uh, Florida State, Duke, Virginia, <laughs> NC State, maybe. And then I'm I'm blanking on another team, but. Uh, it also doesn't help that North Carolina is really bad, but the ACC I don't think is as good as it's been in the past. Oh, sorry, Louisville. Uh, I don't know why I'm forgetting Louisville. Louisville's like a top. Louisville's probably going to be like a top two or three seed this year. But uh, I'll ask you this before uh, we kind of we, we transition into a little bit more of like the back half of the podcast. Will and this is both questions you guys can ask. 
Will Shaka Smart keep his job after this year? Um, I, I'm going to say no. I think, you know, Shaka Smart, you know, I feel like Texas is just continuing. They're like, kind of like, I guess, dropping a little bit down when Rick Barnes got fired. You know, when you look at Shaka Smart Senior, his first year was decent when he had Rick Barnes as players, you know, made it to the tournament. But once he had to, like, for his first year when he had to, like, recruit players was, like, a disaster. The year they had Jared Allen, you know, they finished 10th in the Big 12. And then next year they make the tournament and uh, they had, like, a 10 seed and got eliminated. Then the next year they went to NIT. You know, you know Texas is just, like, they've gone, like, backwards, you know. They're, they aren't the same uh, – program as they were, uh, you know, in the 2000s when they had, like, LaMarcus Aldridge, Kevin Durant, A.J. Abrams, you know, and, you know, the, uh, and, you know, I've noticed this in Texas, you know, the attendance is, like, and the and the atmosphere is just really down there. Fred you know, Fraschilla ripped the, uh, Fred Fraschilla, when he did the Kansas-Texas game, just absolutely ripped Texas fans on the broadcast. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I think, you know, they need to, like, I think they need to make a move, you know, they got to try to bring, try, you know, find somebody, you know, they got Texas, you know, they're getting a new arena in two years, they got to try to bring some excitement in that program and get that, the fans back, you know, I think the first step to do so is to uh, make a head coaching change, you know, so I can't imagine Shaka sticking around next season. Yeah, I mean, uh, I it sounds weird to say for Texas because we always think that Texas is all about money, but um, I think it's a financial decision. And unfortunately for the Longhorns, they guaranteed a lot of money to Shaka with a basically a fully guaranteed contract. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of perusing the numbers real quick right now, but it seems like they're going to owe him somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to $10 million if they fire him after this Ooh, year. So um, that's sort of the difficult question to answer here. I know their arena is not opening until it's not next season, but the season after that. So, um, you know, obviously based on performance and based off of the brand that Texas is and how they expect excellence and how the program has been up over the years and has the resources to do that. then yeah, you would say that the guy needs to be fired, needs to go, but, um, just based off of the pure numbers of this, if Texas can wait another year and, and pay Chaka the money that already he is going to be owed because he's going to get paid that either way, um, you know, potentially they might just have to hang on another year, save up a few more million, and then um, fire him after next season before the new arena opens. But I, I know that's frustrating, I'm sure, for, for Longhorns fans just because the results have not been there with Chaka Smart. But I, I will say, I mean, this is again. This is this bar is too low for Texas because they should compete for championships. To be a good program, they have every reason. He seems to run a program the right way. He seems to be a good motivator. He seems to be well liked. He seems to be the kind of guy. I mean, I, I almost kind of it almost kind of reminds me a little bit of Tim Miles in Nebraska, where um, he didn't win enough to keep his job, but he sort of kept his job maybe a year or two longer than you thought, just because there wasn't scandal and there wasn't off court problems and there, you know, the the problem was the winning and that's obviously what shock the problem is the winning and so um if it continues on this path he'll be fired either this year or next year but for texas you know there's even a point i think where texas has to kind of get a little bit queasy about the numbers they have to pay a guy to go away and that'll probably be the biggest question for shaka come this offseason what's amazed me about shaka smart's tenure is he's brought in like really I mean, he's brought in lottery picks he had jerry brought in jared allen and like sam mentioned they were 10th in the conference miles turner Mo Bamba, and I don't think I don't think they've won a tournament game, have they? With with under Shaka Smart, 
And they both of those losses are in heartbreaking fashion. The first one was against Nora Iowa when Nora Iowa banked a half court shot. Uh-huh. And then uh, they, I think that they lost. It was like overtime. They lost in. It was like OT. I want to say against Xavier, where they have that was like a heartbreaker. So that was 2018. I mean, from afar, it kind of looks like Shark Sports tenure has run its course. Actually, that, uh, that was Nevada, by the way, I think. I take that back. That was against Nevada. Okay. Okay. Um, but I'm kind of moving on to the last part. We're talking, talking about the Kansas ceiling and just teams that really could possibly give Kansas trouble in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I'll list off a few names when that time comes, which is right now. Um, I think all three of us are in agreement that this is a really good Kansas team. And I think Jesse alluded to it really at the start of the podcast how there is no there is no great team. You know, there is not a 2018 Villanova, 2015 Kentucky, 2019 Virginia even. Um, but because there isn't like this dominating team with lottery picks everywhere and just immediate pro talent. It's kind of allowed Kansas this year to uh, blossom into like a, a top team and, and not only a top team, but a national title team. Uh, NCAA tournament is really unpredictable at times. It's a single elimination tournament. And let's just face it. There's times where teams will make a, a bunch of shots on you. And sometimes scouting reports can go up, can go against the window. Uh, you know, case I guess case in point, you know, when Virginia lost in 2018 to UMBC as a, as when they were the first one seed to lose to a 16, um, and then we've seen other situations where KU like has lost in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, VCU, Northern Iowa, uh, but then there's been other instances where they've where they've found ways to win early early in the NCAA tournament. But uh, I'll ask you guys this, and both of you guys can answer: it. What is like? If they don't win the if they don't win the national first first off, do do you guys think this team is going to win? Not just can they, but is. And then, uh, if they were to not make the national, if they were not to win the national championship, what's a appropriate exit for them? Is it Elite Eight? Is it Final Four? Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's just so hard. Um, if you look at the numbers on these sorts of things, like I just talked about how I think Kansas is the best team in college basketball. I think that Kansas is the favorite to win the NCAA tournament. Yet, if you do odds at the beginning of the tournament, the favorite usually is about 18 to 20% to win it all. And um, even if you are the favorite in your own bracket, depending on how it falls, most teams are not 50% to make the final four. So um, it is just it's difficult. It doesn't really, this is, this is a, NCAA tournament is great for viewer ratings, it's great for drama, and it's terrible for crowning teams at the end of the season that have had the best season. So, I mean, for Kansas, yeah, I'm sure that this would be a disappointment if they didn't make the Final Four, but again, the numbers would tell me that, like, there's probably going to be a 50-50 chance that they don't make the Final Four, just because they're going to face a team somewhere in there that is going to be you know, a two or three point underdog against them. And then before that, they're probably going to face a team that's a six or seven point underdog against them that has a 25 or 30% chance to beat them. And you add all those up and all of a sudden, you know, you, you still might be the, the best shape of any team out there, but it's not like you're 
90% to, to win a national title. So, yeah, I, I think for Kansas, if you're looking at matchups, just particular things that, that could give them problems. Um, obviously, they won't be in the same bracket as, as Baylor because of the Big 12 thing, but um, the way that Baylor guards and could cut off dribble penetration, I think that that is something, you know, any team out there with a four-guard lineup that really has guys that can cut off driving lanes, uh, that has been kind of proven to stall KU's offense a little bit because that's how they get so many points in Devon Dotson and Marcus Garrett off of right-hand drives. And then I think uh, when you're looking offensively at a particular team against Kansas, I think uh, five men who can shoot it from the outside because I mentioned all what really what Kansas does defensively is they try to funnel things back and Udoka basically helps every player on the court if his man um, drives into the lane. But the problem for them for Kansas is like they play Oklahoma and Christian Doolittle, and if Udoka helps somebody, then they throw it out to Christian Doolittle and he a thirty-seven percent three-point shooter and he can shoot a bunch of threes. And it's almost the exact carbon copy of what happened in twenty eighteen when Kansas played Villanova because. You know, Gazabuki had a mismatch on one end, but the problem was that he couldn't guard anybody on the other end because he was trying to help. He was trying to protect the lane. He was trying to help his teammates. And Villanova just chucked up a bunch of wide-open threes and was able to, to bomb KU out of the building. So I think those are the kind of the two things to look for uh, in teams playing against Kansas that might have a little bit of an edge. Uh, you know, not, not an edge against Kansas, but maybe would help them a point or two more than you would expect. But, yeah, for Kansas, like I said, I'm, I'm sure if you ask Bill Self, he would hope to make another Final Four this year. But the NCAA tournament's really difficult, and the, the sheer numbers of this thing are that you can be the best team, you can do a lot through the first 34, 35 games of the season and you have a bad night or another team shoots well or another team just plays a little bit better than you then it's all for naught and that very well could happen with Kansas but like I said I'm probably going to like their chances more than anybody else out there yeah Sam would you agree with uh, with Jesse it's kind of like throwing darts but or do you really are completely sold on this there's no way that they don't make a final four um you know um I'll have to agree with Jesse you know it's it's so hard to predict the NCAA tournament you know um it always depends on like you know, I think, you know, like, me and Steve, we always, like, talk about this and, you know, like, you know, like, how do you, like, survive the cold shooting game, you know, or we, or we have to start this rock fight, you know, you have, like, you start out the first three games, you'll end up, like, shooting really well, but it's usually that Elite Eight game, and we've seen it in the past, like, even 08 when they played Davidson was against Steph Curry, you know, that was, like, a 59-57 game, you know. You know, it's like, that's really going to be the real question is, uh, will KU be able to survive that rock fight team? And, you know, and the thing about this team is they can survive it. Like, if they, and they've proven it, like, throughout the year, you know, and when their offense is down, their defense just increases, you know, that's one thing that makes me feel good. Um, This team should make the final four if, you know, they get, like, the right matchups and, you know, they end up, like you know, if their offense can continue to keep peaking, you know, and uh, they're and then you know, I think the key, I think my key for KU, the X factor this KU team will be Isaiah Moss. Um, I think you know, we looked at we saw it last year with Texas Tech and Matt Mooney. You know, he was a grad transfer from South Dakota who would just who was just hitting big shot after big shot. You know, Isaiah Moss, he can definitely step up and be that guy and make some big shots. You know. And we got a glimpse of that in that West Virginia game, you know. When he got going, you know, that's when, you know, KU was able to turn it on and be able to put put West Virginia to bed at the end. Right. Um, I think you made a good point. We, we know this Candace team can defend. 
we know that they can defend, but uh, there's gonna be they're not gonna be giving up fifty fifty five points uh, in every, a night throughout the NCAA tournament. There's gonna be a game where, I mean, they might not give up like seventy, but there's gonna be a game where the, where the other team will make. And I'll, when I mean a couple, I mean like seven or eight, more than just a more than just one or two, and they can get hot. And I think we 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 know what what's in Marcus Garrett's arsenal um, as a really a, a Swiss Army knife. Uh, I call him. I know a lot of Kansas fans probably aren't gonna aren't gonna like this reference because he played Oklahoma State, but uh, Marcus Smart. I think he kind of has a lot of Marcus Smart to him. In terms of he can do a lot of stuff. I mean, he, obviously he can defend at a high level, but you know, you saw when Dotson was out for that for for one game, uh, and really throughout conference play, Marcus Garrett's been a great facilitator, and you see with Dotson, who I don't know if I think that game that that he had last night where he made six threes was kind of an aberration, uh, because before that game he was shooting nineteen percent from three. In conference play, I think he's a better shooter than that. But but Dotson can still score in a variety of ways. You have Azubuke, but if guys like Christian Brown, who's actually played pretty well as a freshman, Isaiah Moss, those two, um, even Abaji. I mean, we even even mentioned Ochai Abaji, but Abaji is another guy. If, if they get one of those three or two of those three going in a game where they're not where they're they're giving up maybe six or seven threes to help balance that out. I think they'll have a good chance um, to at least survive like a rock fight, like Sam and I alluded to. Um, kind of just before we kind of end this, uh, oh, I have five teams here, Jesse uh, and, and Sam, that I'll name. I'll, I'll mention to you guys. Actually, six. I got six teams, and I'll give you. I'll tell them. I'll tell you what they are, and then you guys have to respond to me what is really each of these teams' ceilings. Um, we'll start with Gonzaga. Gonzaga is like a, is projected to be a number one seed out west. Um, where do you guys think that their ceiling is? Because they're a really good team. Do you think they can get to a Final Four or, or an Natty? Well, they're probably going to be in great shape just because um, as it stands now, they're probably going to be the number one seed out west, and you would think that as it stands now, the two seeds going to be San Diego State, and, and most likely that would be – um, you know, I know they haven't lost yet, but that that would be probably um, the two seeds you would want most out of the other choices that are out there. If you're looking at uh, other teams like you know, I don't know Maryland or Dayton, um, those sorts of teams, Duke potentially. I think you would definitely want San Diego State in your bracket compared to to some of those teams. So um, again, it's probably a little bit similar lines to Kansas. I don't like Gonzaga as much as Kansas. They're probably the third best team in the nation, but many times in in college basketball, we've seen the third best team in the nation go on and win the national title and have a nice hot streak. So I think I got a great chance of, of making a run here, but uh, also if they fell short, it, it wouldn't be that surprising either. All right, Gonzaga, you know, Gonzaga is probably one of the most balanced teams in college basketball. Um, you know, they got like multiple guys in double figures. Seven, They have seven different players scoring in double figures, which is absolutely mind-boggling. Reminds me a little bit of the to the 2008 team, which was like probably one of the most extremely balanced teams I've ever seen. You know, they got that balance there. Um, you know, 
Mark Few is like one of the greatest, one of the best coaches in college basketball. And, you know, he knows how to get to the national title, which he did, you know, uh, 2017. So I think, you know, they could, they could definitely make a uh, run, I think, in the tournament potentially if they get the right bracket. And, like, it will depend on who's, like, the two and three, I think, in that region. Um, so the next team uh, is San Diego State. San Diego State, I know, Jesse, you said it's like a – you think would be like a two-seed out west, but a lot of brackets, like I went on Jerry Palm for CBS Sports, they're predicting San Diego State as a one-seed, which which is fine, but they have them out east. And then the east, their two-seed's Duke, which would just be – a and it's in New York. So I'm just thinking like a San Diego State, if they end up as a, as a one-seed out east, that's just going to be – Horrible, because it's going to be tough for them to get fans. But uh, I, I, personally, Sam and I, we don't – I mean, I don't know – actually, I don't know how much Sam watches San Diego State. Uh, for, just from what I know, San Diego State does not play a lot of teams, I think, that are high in Ken Palm. Uh, their schedule is kind of deceiving, or do you think they're really – it doesn't matter the schedule. They're a really good team. Yeah, I think they're good. Um, I, I don't think that they're Kansas good, and actually, that makes a lot of sense that they would be one of the last one seats. You know, they'd behind be behind Baylor and Kansas, and if you're one of the last one seats, you'd get thrown into whatever region is left. And if Gonzaga is the third number one, then yeah, whatever the fourth one number one left, I guess you would put Kansas in the Midwest, you put Baylor in the South, you'd put um, Gonzaga in the West, and then you put the fourth team out east. And as you mentioned, if it was San Diego State having to play Duke in Madison Square Garden. Uh, that would that would not be kind to the Aztecs, but I, I think they're a good team. I mean, I, I think they've proven that over the course of the season. We can know from some of these numbers that even if you have a bad schedule, if you perform well over the course of that schedule uh, and, and beat teams by the margin of victory that we expect from top teams, then you're still considered a good team. Like I said before, I, I think if you are getting the choice of them or Duke in your bracket, you want San Diego State. But again, I mean, San Diego State's undefeated. They've been able to keep this role going. They've been beating teams by a larger margin here in recent games. So I, I like them. I, I think they're good. I think they've proven they're good over time, but I don't think they're the most feared team out there. Um, I, I think especially as you talked about, for the one seed out east, that would be a difficult draw with Duke. Yeah, I, I, don't, I just, you know, I haven't really had much of a chance to watch San Diego State, but, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously, you got to give them credit, you know, they're undefeated right now, they're, you know, they obviously proves that they're a very good basketball team, but, you know, they're tough, I just don't know, like, because, you know, they haven't really played anybody, you know, if you, if you just look at their schedule, I mean, they're like, best, their best team they played against, you know, was uh, Boise State, and, you know, Boise State, I mean, they're like, they're no uh, better than like, you know, like an Oklahoma or even like, even like maybe Iowa State, maybe, um, you know, I just can't see, you know, San Diego State, if they play against Duke, I, I just see like, I just feel like that'd be like a 20 point win for Duke in New York. I mean, I feel like they're a really, you know, I think, you know, they'd probably be better off wanting to be like a two seed, you know, than like being the number one. Right. Honestly, if you have to like go through that road, but I give a lot of credit. Credit. I mean, I, I did like uh, the fall of San Diego State when Steve Fisher was the coach. And uh, Brian Dutcher, you know, he was a assistant for Steve Fisher since his days at Michigan. And you know, he's done a really good job. You know, 
keeping what uh, Steve Fisher built at San Diego State and trying to make it uh, even better, which he has done a really good job of doing so. Right. Um, kind of get, trying to get a little bit more uh, kind of a quicker pace here. Dukes, Dukes, you know, they've made back-to-back elite eights. Obviously, Candace beat them. Uh, Mikhail Luke, you know, drained the three to send it overtime uh, a couple years, two years ago. Um, this is not this is not the prototypical like Duke team compared to last year where they had <coughs> three lottery picks and then they had I believe three as well when they had Wendell Carter, Marvin Bagley, and uh, I'm forgetting someone else. But I don't think Vernon Carey. Uh, Cassius Stanley, those guys are going to be lottery picks. They might be fringe first round picks, but <coughs> they were fortunate. You know, they've got, they got Trey Jones to come back, and he's been having a very good season. But Duke has been really pulling off some really impressive wins. You know, they beat Florida State. Granted, that was at home, at home, but that was a really good win for them. Um, and then <coughs> I know North Carolina is not good, but it was a rivalry game, and they pulled it off. So. Just quickly, what's your thoughts on Duke? Uh, yeah, I, I like Duke a lot. I think whatever team gets them as a two or three seats, really going to get screwed here. And uh, they might be the favorite in whatever bracket they land in to make the Final Four, and that's going to be unfortunate for whether that's Baylor or Kansas or San Diego State, whoever gets kind of paired with them, because um, obviously their numbers over the course of the season are really good. They're balanced. They play great defense. They play hard for Coach K, and the pieces seem to fit. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, Duke is obviously really good, you know. But I think, you know, if they go into Kansas, I like still, I feel good about KU playing Duke as, in a rematch, you know. I thought, you know, the first game, you know, they should have, KU should have beaten Duke, like, but I think that the 28 turnovers, you know, that doesn't win you many games. And they still only lost by, like, four points. You know, I feel like KU this time around wouldn't turn over as much, and, you know, I think, you know, they'd have a, Better chance of beating Duke this time around, right. uh, but Duke is an excellent team. You know, if they fall into the East region, San Diego State's number one. I'm already, I'm booking it as a uh, fi- a final trip, four trip for uh, Duke. You know, they got a lot of you know great uh, great players. You know, Carey and Cassius Stanley, and then Trey Jones. You know, he was viewed as one of the best point guards in the country. You know, and those has really you know helped this Duke team out as came back to, to try to win the national title. So, you know, so that's going to be uh, really interesting to see going forward. Yeah, Duke has uh, almost Kansas, almost Kansas commit Matt Hurt. Um, um, uh, so three more, Florida State. So we'll go with Florida State, Maryland, and Dayton. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm down on Florida State. Uh, they've been one of those teams that kind of uh, – I look up the Ken Palm <laughs> luck measure. They're they're one of the teams that have kind of skated by with winning a bunch of close games, and so I'm uh, not as high on them. Maryland and um, Dayton, I, I I really like actually this year. I've kind of in the past seems like Mark Turgeon to me always has teams that receive votes in the AP poll. It seems like they kind of always are the 26 to 32 range, and this team is elevated above that only four losses with the type of schedule you know it's faced so far in the big 10 i think that's really impressive and then uh, i i love dayton i mean i when i talked earlier about the team that could give kansas fits i mean we saw that game in overtime with so much fun in maui but 
uh, Obi Toppin. That's the that's the five man who could stretch the floor. Who uh, in that game he did give Kansas fits. So that if that happened, if it was Kansas one seed, Dayton the two seed, and that matchup happened, let's say Indianapolis to go to the Final Four, it'd be a lot of fun. But I think a lot of game fans would be sweating it out because uh, those two teams would be very evenly matched. I uh, yeah, I'm not really sold on Florida State. You know, of course they've won a lot of close games. You know. Uh, they're only 22nd on the uh, Ken Palm, um, you know, 41 in adjusted offense, and then, you know, adjusted even 17, you know. But I do, I, I'm, I am a fan of Leonard Hamilton. I think he's one of, one of the most underrated college coaches out there. You know, he's had a, he's been at Florida State for uh, many years and, you know, has really been really successful, you know, made it to an Elite Eight a couple years ago as like a, a nine seed. So, I mean, they could definitely surprise the people that experience in close games could definitely benefit them, you know. Maryland, you know, they're very solid offensively, but they're also they're a number fifth in defense, which is a, which can, which will help them big time, you know, going forward into March, you know. So that's something I look for. But Dayton, Dayton's a team that scares me most as a KU fan to rematch with them. If they get the two seed, you know. That game in Maui was a lot of fun. You know, Obi Toppin, you know, he's one one of the best players in the country. I think he's going to be – I think he could potentially be the best player in the uh, 2020 NBA draft class. You know, he's got that type of talent. Um, you know, they they, they – uh, you know, Obi, you know, like KU the first time, you know, they double-teed him so much that uh, that left a lot of guys wide open and Dayton was able to hit his – show that they can really shoot the three ball well, which is something, you know, that's been uh, the Achilles heel to KU's, like, losses, you know, like other teams, you know, making, like, threes against them, you know. So that's definitely a matchup I'd be very worried about if I'm a KU fan. Uh, So uh, I think Dayton could definitely make the Final Four, you know. I think they're at least an Elite Eight team. Yeah. Um. (laughs) If you if you actually think about it, out of all the, uh, it's weird. Out of all the currently, I mean, things can change with with two or three weeks left in the race. This is like the most is the furthest east out of all the one seeds, which which is weird because that affects all the 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 it affects which one seeds will go geographically, and then the two seeds, uh. I mean, right now you got what Florida State, Maryland, Dayton, and Duke. All those teams are on the East Coast, uh, or sorry, East East Time Zone. So that 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 I think could affect in terms of like the brackets, which teams get one, which team gets two seeds. See how Dayton and Kansas don't end up in the same region. They're gonna. Pl- I really feel like that's gonna be the 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 the, the pairing. Uh, who knows that they play each other in the Elite Eight, but. Um, Dayton just to me looks like a team that's going to be in KU's region. Uh, but fun, uh, fun fact. I don't know if you know this, Jesse, but I believe it's been. I, I, I should I should have did more research before uh, I brought this up. I think it's the last nine teams who have won the region in the city that hosted the. Like next year's Final Four went on to play for the national title. It's like some weird thing. I've, I've it's weird, but it, it, it's in Indianapolis this year for the Midwest. So if Kansas or Dayton or whoever wins the Midwest, they could be playing in the national title game. Uh, it's it's weird, but uh, 
Um, before we kind of put a bow on this, do you guys have any other um, any other things you want to mention, Jesse? I know since you're a beat reporter for Kansas, do you have any other uh, really any stories or stuff that you want to let let people know? Because I mean, I'm sure there's obviously you have a, you have thousands of followers on Twitter and they read your content, but is there kind of a story that a Kansas story that you, you're that's kind of in the works that you're gonna be publishing in the next couple days or weeks no i honestly just kind of following this team along um could be just some breakdowns of some of the creative stuff that bill self is doing with plays and get trying to get to von dotson uh, open driving lanes things like that but um we really get the good access once the NCAA and the big 12 tournament start where there's um, more open locker rooms more time to talk to players get more in depth with players those sorts of things so it's always a fun time of year coming up and Definitely looking forward to that because, um, you know, it, it's great to cover these games and go to these different places, but obviously everybody knows tournament time is uh, where, what everybody remembers. So uh, it's time to, to get that going and see where KU goes. Yeah. I got to ask, what, out of all the years that have you've covered, because you covered, you, how many years did you cover the Jayhawks before the KC start? Uh, I've been covering them since '09. Okay. Since 09, what is the best and worst, like, venue, aside from Allen Fieldhouse? What's the best and worst venue you've been to? Oh, man. Um, I mean, it's obviously great to watch games in Maui. Uh, people are so excited to be there because they're in Maui. And the low ceiling, it's a tough ticket to get in. And both teams' fans are just really enthusiastic. And the stakes aren't that great. So, um, you know, both teams kind of play with a free mind. So, that's a good place. I'll tell you what. Um, you know, Tennessee had one of the best home court advantages against Kansas. Uh, they when they played them back in 2010, as one those fans were were crazy. And then obviously K State and Iowa State usually bring it for Kansas. K State kind of uh, more hatred, anger, and Iowa State just kind of more angry and mad at the world. But um, yeah, I, I would say that those are kind of the venues that stick out for for Kansas and and going and traveling with them. But uh, you just can't beat a, a Maui championship game. Uh, you're already in paradise. You've got fans that are happy to be there. You've got low stakes, and everybody always seems to have a good time. And it usually makes for for really good basketball. Uh, Jesse, uh, so for since the uh, brawl happened, KUK State the first time. How do you think? What do you think it's going to be like the crowd and Manhattan? The atmosphere is going to feel like for that game. Oh my God, it's going to be insane. <laughs> yeah, it will be, and obviously, uh, Sylvia Sosa not being able to travel with the team is probably one of those things that probably went through everybody's mind when he got that extended uh, suspension that'll last twelve games. It'll keep you know even take it beyond there. So that'll be something that'll de-escalate, de-escalate it a little bit. But to be honest with you. Whenever KU plays at K State, the uh, vitriol is at a as a pretty high level already. So I, I'm sure there'll be signs. I'm sure there'll be pictures of stools. I'm sure there'll be all sorts of creative things going on. But uh, I'm not sure there can be much more hatred between that fan base and those students and the KU players anyway. So it's probably just going to kind of be business as usual when it comes to the Jayhawks and trying to go against those Wildcats. Right. <laughs> um, one last venue that I'm curious about. The Battle for Atlantis Tournament. <laughs> Sam and I, like, go on back and forth, like, just, we, we just, like, make fun of that place because it's, it's, it's like a ballroom and you can't see, like, after three, after the first three seats. How weird was it covering a game there when they played in 2014? 
Yeah, it was strange. And what's weird too is everything's kind of connected. So like the ballroom is connected to the casino, which is connected to the hotel, which is connected to the resort. So to to basically walk to the game, you would walk from your hotel room through a casino, through a lobby, through an aquarium, and then get to a ballroom. <laughs> and, um, the, the court was in terrible shape. You could see kind of like some divots in the court, things like that. You're, they do interesting things with the lighting to kind of make the fans um, look sort of blue and strange. The locker rooms are, are terrible because they really aren't locker rooms. They're just kind of these big rooms. And to be honest, you didn't have a very good experience there, and that's why they haven't gone back, and they won't go back as long as Bill Self uh, is the coach there just because of uh, his experience there at the time that KU went. So, um, so yeah, no, it, it's not a great atmosphere, but it's also, and also the food there is unbelievably overpriced, like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, I remember I took my wife out to dinner one night and we got a plate of ribs, no sides, no drinks, $50 was the bill back in 2014. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy place. It feels like a whole different world. Um, but like I said, KU will not be going back there just based off the experience they had, at least not as long as Bill Self's the coach. Yeah, um, I, I'm glad about that. that I, I just wanted to get that off. I wanted to ask you that question because that's been like, I've always just that's my that's been my burning question. I've always wanted to know, like, man, what are the actual sight lines of that place? And no wonder, as you mentioned, no wonder Candace couldn't make any shots in that in that tournament because, you I mean, everybody everybody uh, looked like they were blue with the lights, but. Uh, Man, that, that's pretty insane. Uh, and never forget that KU UTEP game. Oh my God, the, the Kansas UTEP game was like one of the biggest rock fights I've seen for KU. But uh, and there, yeah, and there's been many. There, there's been many rock fights. Um, Sam, do you have anything? Uh, um, just any other things you want to ask him uh, before we wrap it up? Jesse, I just can't thank you enough for actually coming on and providing all this information about Kansas. Uh, you've, you've been you've been a great uh, you've been a great help. You've done a great job. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on and uh, good to talk hoops. And like I said, looking forward to the tournament. I'm sure everybody is because it's the most exciting time and uh, we'll see how all this plays out. All right. Um, well, again, thank you so much. Man. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, if, if the season plays out, you get to cover the team uh, not only in March, but maybe in April as well. But uh, thank you again and you know, have a good one. Thank you, Jesse. All right. Thanks, guys.